Welcome to the Cheddarhead Fantasy Football Podcast. All the information you need to make the most of your fantasy football league with just a touch of sarcasm to keep you from taking yourself too seriously. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this latest episode of the Cheddarhead Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the show. It's Saturday, October 29th, and this is your your favorite fantasy football podcast show where we answer all your questions and, and get you ready for, for week eight of fantasy football and NFL and college football this season. Um, we, have, we have all your bets coming up, and, and you have uh, news and notes and your must-starts and don't-bothers, and it's me, Dave, and... and well, it's me, Dave. Wayne Wayne was not able to make it for the show today. He got he got called into work last second last night, and uh, let me know he's not going to be here. So so no dulcet tones of Wayne and the the insightful uh, musings of a a football savant. You just have me. So uh, if you're turning the show off right now, I'll be I'll be the anth. An- the uh, John Fetterman of this show and good night everyone right as we start the show so before we get into what's going on be sure to check out the website cffpodcast.com everything we talk about will be up there we have a fantasy girl we have all our gambling stuff up there ready to go um, we have our our rainbow bed updates Everything you need. Everything you need. And then you got questions, comments, concerns. Feel free to use the Mission Barbecue email, cffpodcast at hotmail.com. We'll answer all your questions there. And we, we're, we're going to start to show off with, with two questions from the Mountain Dew Spark fan line, 414-520-8249. Your chance to leave text messages or, or voicemails for us to play and answer. And we start with this one. Hello, Woody and Buzz. Now, since Wayne's not here, I get to pick who I am. Uh, I guess I'll be Buzz Lightyear because I, no, I no, 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 I want to be Woody. Now that Disney has gone all woke and they've they forced Buzz Lightyear to kiss another man on one of their movies, uh, I'll be I'll be Woody. So there you go. His question goes like this: What do you make? Of the running back situation in Baltimore. <laughs> That's a good question. It seems that whichever running back I start, the benched one scores points. Do you start both? Also, with the Packers struggle this season, is this Aaron Rodgers' last season? Don't cheap out and hand out the little candy bars, Dave. Wow. That's Jimmy Jam Flim Flam from the West Side. Um, First of all, I don't. I don't I don't hand out candy bars on Halloween. I don't hand out candy on Halloween. I am I am the Mr. Bah humbug of Halloween mainly because we don't have a lot of kids in our neighborhood and I don't like handing out candy bars to the van loads, car loads and bus loads of other kids that come in from other neighborhoods. Call me the mean old get off my grass band, but that's that's the way it goes over here in 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 Dirty Stallis. All right, 
So, no, I, I won't hand out the little candy bars, I promise you. But anyways, to his question, what do you make of the running back situation in Baltimore? Well, here's the problem with the Baltimore running backs. You have six of them. You have Gus Edwards, Kenyon Drake, Justice Hill, Mike Davis, J.K. Dobbins, and of course, Lamar Jackson. The problem with those six is 50% of them right now are injured. Mike Davis, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards, which you can't count on. The remaining ones, Kenyon Drake, who they traded for, Justice Hill, and Lamar Jackson, are splitting time. Think of think of the old days when, when um, uh, what was his name, was coaching the Denver Broncos and having a Denver Bronco running back on your on your fantasy football roster was death because he would always um, Shanahan when Shanahan was coaching the the Denver Broncos you you never knew which one would be playing and they would look it looked like all three of them were trying to see who could get over six carries a game because you know they, they all had to have the same amount of carries and uh, and I think you answered your own question. No, you don't start both Baltimore running backs in your in your lineup. I don't care what's going on. You have to have somebody that's going to get more carries, no matter what the situation is. But you you do not start two Baltimore unless, of course, you have say uh, Kenyon Drake and Lamar Jackson. Then you could start two running backs. But. Because you're, you're lucky enough that one of the running backs is going to be taking up your quarterback position. So that would be the the only way I would say, yeah, go ahead and start two Baltimore running backs. Other than that, no. And I, I, I'm i sorry you have to deal with a Baltimore running back situation. And I know that in, in James's case, I know that happened because in the Dynasty League, he had uh, Kenyon Drake on his roster when Kenyon Drake was Las Vegas Raider and then he got screwed when he got traded to Baltimore but there you go our next question oh wait no he also had a question about Aaron Rodgers and I know this was a a little poke at me to get me to come off my high horse that Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game but facts are facts he is so I will answer your question. No, this will not be Aaron Rodgers' last season. He is not the crying, whining Tom Brady who will not play next year. Mark my word. Put the bet in at the book if you can. Tom Brady will not play next year. This is his last year, if he even makes it through the year. As for Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is is far too much of a team player who wants to be the best and wants his teammates to be the best and he uh, does whatever he can to make sure they are the best yes he's having a tough season but that's because the offensive line is horrible the defense is horrible so the team is having a horrible season so far the defense has not been good hopefully we're at the point in the season where all this stuff gels together it's tough because at this point in the season the Packers are playing probably the toughest stretch of their schedule for the year. We got Buffalo, we got the Rams, we got Dallas. It's it's not good. I mean, the only, the only respite is 
we have two bye weeks this year. We have or we have four bye weeks this year. We have two games against Detroit. We have a bye week, and then we have another game against Chicago. So, um, we should be okay. Uh, relax. No, this is not going to be another just three loss season like we're so used to with Aaron Rodgers and and Matt Lafleur. But we'll be okay. And no, this is not Aaron Rodgers last season. She'll be fine. Our next listener question has to do with a a conversation I had with with Dan. He found a, an article on the the Score app, and it had to do with with the early top fives in all the NFL awards for this year: Coach of the Year, uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year and defensive player of the year. Did I say that already? And then MVP. So he asked, what do you think of the, of the rankings and where would you rank the top five? So what we did was, well, what I did, Wayne isn't here to give out his list, but you will have mine. The way too early NFL awards. So the score for their top five coaches of the year, they went in this order, five to one. Robert Sala, the Jets, Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys, Sean McDermott of the Bills, Nick Sirianni of the Eagles, and Brian Dable of the Giants. So my job is to take those five and put them in the correct order, which I have done. First of all, number five for me, Sean McDermott. There, there's, there's no way, there's no way this guy is the coach of the year. I mean, what has he done so far this year? This would be like me having... How can I how can I do this? This would be like me having a new house built, not even hammering a nail in the effing thing. Walking into the house at the end when it's done, hanging up a picture on the wall, and getting the name getting named the home designer and builder of the year. McDermott is not even in the top five. Yes, he's a he's the coach of the probably the best team in the NFL, but it's the best team in the NFL because it's a plug-and-play system where McDermott, McDermott doesn't have to do anything except, you know, the, the Jason Gare job of being on the sidelines, clapping his hands after every play. The team is too good for it to be Sean McDermott's doing. Just my opinion. Take it for what you want. Number four for me, Mike McCarthy. And this has to go with like this because much like his history with the Packers, everything looks a lot better than what it truly is when it comes to Mike McCarthy. McCarthy, with what he has on defense and what he has for offensive weapons, he should be undefeated with the team that he has. He has the number one defense in the NFL, for Christ's sake. He's taking a collection of on-paper studs and turning them into basically the, the Denver Broncos of 2022, a team that is supposed to be really good, but is ending up being eh. Eh, at best. Number two for me. Wait, what did I miss? Five, four, three. Huh. Oh, no. Number three for me, Nick Sirianni. I mean, I want to have the same thoughts for Sirianni that I have for McDermott, but in all fact, in all honesty, 
Sirianni came into the season with tons of questions on the team from quarterback to running back to wide receiver. Were they really as good as what they what everybody thinks? And he has turned preseason concerns from the fans into a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I am very impressed with Nick Sirianni. Not as impressed as I am with the next two in line. Robert Sala of the Jets is my number two guy. Same thing as as with Nick Sirianni. Way too many questions. The difference between Sirianni and Sala is his team is just not as talented. Turning out to be not as talented is what Nick Sirianni has. So we move Robert Sala up for the job he's doing to number two. My number one guy for uh, coach of the year has to be Brian Dable right now. Right now, in fact, I'm going to have it as a tie between Dable and Sala. Uh, these guys are are taking teams that, like I said, most people expected to be the worst teams in the NFL this year, and they have a total of three losses between the two of them. I'm completely fine letting the two of them just fight it out for the rest of the year. It's going to be great to watch. Whichever one wins, wins. But, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's my top five there. We move to Defensive Rookie of the Year. The score has them listed in this order. Number five, Aiden Hutchinson of the Lions. Number four, Derek Stingley Jr. of the Texans. Number three, Devin Lloyd of the Jaguars. Number two, Tariq Woolen of the Seahawks. And number one, Ahmad Gardner of the Jets. And frankly, it's fine. Right now, I'm fine with this, how the list is. As a fantasy football player, I'm not paying much attention to defenses as most, especially defensive rookies. I have opinions on defensive players, just not rookies. So... Yeah, fine. Sauce Gardner, yeah, you're really cute with a little cheese wedge on your head, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens where, where you are at the end of the year, okay? Talk to me then. Next, we move to Offensive Rookie of the Year. The scores order is like this. Brian Zappi, one, or five. Drake London, four. Chris Olave, three. Brees Hall, two. And Damian Pierce, one. So, and I know this this list came out prior to last week's action so i will not hold this against the score but the correct order should be like this number five Brees hall i mean he would have been higher on the list for me but sadly his season did end last week with a torn acl so he's not going to go much further than i mean he won't be in the top five but the rules are i have to use these five and rank them in the order so Brees hall number five number four for me drake london another guy who isn't going to end up playing enough this season due to injuries and due to the team he is on being not that good. Um, Drake London, spectacular talent. Wish I had him on some of my football teams in fantasy, but I do not. So I like Drake London, just uh, he is not going to win the rookie of the year. Number three for me, Bailey Zappi. Now he has shown some signs of stardom, but... He is going to end up not playing enough this year to get the Rookie of the Year award. I will put him at three right now, but that's probably going to move down because there's a certain running back in Seattle who, as weeks go on, he's going to move his way up the list. I also foresee possibly a quarterback in Pittsburgh who is going to move his way up to the top five. Number two for me, Chris Olave. I think I think it's going to be close race between Chris Olave and Damian Pierce. Olave is going to have to continue his upward trajectory uh, from where he's at right now to overtake Pierce. 
I don't see that happening because Damian Pierce will be your offensive rookie of the year. Since he took over the starting running back position in Houston, Pierce has has proven me correct from the pre-draft projections we've been doing on this podcast. And I am I am happy. I am so happy that I made those calls because as it turns out I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you That's were right. Damian Pierce will be your offensive rookie of the year. He's proven to be a monster both in real life, on the football field, and in the fantasy football world. We move to defensive player of the year. The score goes like this. Number five, Chris Jones, Chiefs. Miles Garrett, Browns. Max Crosby, Raiders. Nick Bosa, 49ers. And Micah Parsons, Cowboys. Now, again... Much like with the defensive rookies of the year, no one in fantasy football gives a rip about individual defensive players. I am fine with this ranking. I mean, it seems like the sports writers and everyone else that votes for these awards has has this stick up their butt that they want to give Micah Parsons this award since last year. So, fine. Let him have it. Who cares? Micah Parsons, fine. Great. Great. Do something. And finally, the MVP. And here we go again. The score has Micah Parsons from the Cowboys. Will not happen. Number four, Saquon Barkley, Giants. Number three, Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs. Number two, Jalen Hurts, Eagles. Number one, Josh Allen of the Bills. And my order goes like this, Micah Parsons. So I just mentioned this in the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, He's going to get that award if he gets one at all. There's no way he'll get the MVP award. Not because... I don't like him, but because the MVP goes to a quarterback. Number four for me, Saquon Barkley. He has made tremendous comeback this year after his multiple injuries. He's playing like he was his rookie year, cutting and scatting all over the field. But everyone knows, like I said with Michael Parsons, only quarterbacks win the MVP. Sorry, Saquon. Number three for me, Jalen Hurts. I'm moving Jalen Hurts down one spot from where the score has him, mainly because He's not as flashy as the final two guys on the list. Unfortunately, in the NFL, flashy sells. Look at Lamar Jackson. He got an MVP award. In fact, he got a uh, undisputed, is that the word? No. He got a unanimous MVP award for basically one running play against a horrible Cincinnati Bengals team. And that, that's the way, sad to say, that's the way it is in the NFL. Flashy sells. Only the last two years in a row where they actually gave it to the guy who's the MVP, Aaron Rodgers, for leading a team, a, a team that's not that great, and leading him like a leader would lead. Lamar Jackson got his award for the one play we see from that year Every time they talk about Lamar Jackson, a little spin move against the horrible Cincinnati Bengals team. And that's what I see Jalen Hurts as flashy, but not flashy enough. These next two guys, they're flashy, but flashy with talent, unlike Lamar Jackson. Number two for me, Patrick Mahomes. He takes the runner position for me because I think the general public is getting tired of the, oh my God, look how amazing this guy is narrative. Don't get me wrong. He's a great quarterback. I think Marcus Mariota 
Mariota could do just as well with the playbook of the Kansas City Chiefs. Would it be as flashy? No. Would it be as, <laughs> oh, shucks, uh, look at my uh, curly mullet that I have? No, no. But it would be the same result. Mar- Patrick Mahomes, number two. Number one, Josh Allen. This guy can do everything, and he is doing it, doing everything for the Bills this year. He runs better than Lamar, he throws better than Mahomes, and he is head and shoulders above most other players when it comes to the community that he lives in, which is also a big selling point for this award. What do they do off the field and for the city they live in? And Josh Allen is that guy. So there they are. What do you think? Let us know what you think of the ranking, cffpodcast at hotmail.com, and uh, let me know where I'm wrong, or just send me a note saying, Dave, you're right again. You're right again, and there's nothing we can say. So let's move to the news and notes, shall we? start with this one because it's sad news and it's the biggest news of the week rookie running back from the Jets Brees Hall left the game last Sunday with a knee injury on Monday it was discovered that Hall tore his ACL and will miss the rest of the season with this injury the Jets went and traded for James Robinson from the Jaguars in which the Jets gave up a sixth round pick that could turn into a fifth round pick Robinson has been on the outs in Jacksonville with the new coaching staff, so it was easy, an easy trade for them to make. This also means there should be, still be a big jump in value for Michael Carter as he will be seeing more action in Hall's absence, especially this week. The word is that James Robinson, although he's there, will probably not play much. So uh, Michael Carter is your guy this week. Not to be outdone. Jets receiver Corey Davis also suffered a knee injury on Sunday, and this would mean more targets for rookie Garrett Wilson and a disgruntled receiver in New York, Elijah Moore. Tight end David Njoku suffered an ankle injury this last week. If he is unable to go, look for Harrison Bryant to get the opportunity to show his talents as he has been productive for the Browns in the limited role he has played so far this year. Chuba Hubbard? was injured last week against Tampa Bay. He looked to be the winner of the McCaffrey trade for Carolina and in turn a hot commodity on the waiver wires. That changes now if this injury sidelines him for any amount of time. Look for Deonta Foreman to get the, the bulk of the work in Carolina while Chuba Hubbard sits on the sidelines. We move to Daniel Bellinger. He's going to undergo surgery on his eye as he suffered a fractured orbital and septum injury in week seven. The team is hopeful that this is not a season-ending injury, but uh, I don't know, surgery on an eye socket? Mm, Not good. While Bellinger is out, the Giants will turn to Chris Myrick, the undrafted rookie out of Temple, to fill in at the tight end position. This move would be a wait-and-see type thing for fantasy GMs, as the Giants may be on the lookout for a tight end on the trade market. They have until Tuesday to get that done. Another injury this time is DK Metcalf, who injured his knee on Sunday. He learned that he 
he uh, hurt his patellar tendon. He reportedly doesn't need surgery. Tom Pelissero reported Monday that the current plans for Metcalf to rehab the injury and see how recovery goes with no current timetable for a return. Then we move to Indianapolis, where the Colts have decided that the Matt Ryan era in Indianapolis is over. They announced on Monday that the team will move forward with Sam Ellinger as their starting quarterback for the rest of the season. When the announcement was first made, it was thought that the move was in regards to Ryan's injured shoulder, but that quickly turned to the team uh, was planning to the fact that the team was planning on benching him regardless of any injury. The bad news for the Colts is that they're on the hook for his guaranteed $24.7 million contract this year and his $12 million guarantee for 2023. The team is also on the hook for a guaranteed roster bonus of $17.2 million if the team does not cut him before the third day of the new league year. But you don't have to worry about that. He will not be on the team next year. And just as we put the nail into Marlon Mack's coffin a few weeks ago, he rises up like Dracula on Halloween night. Mack has been signed by the Denver Broncos, and he will fly with the team to London. Don't know if he's actually going to play in London before he is eventually cut again by Denver, or if this is just another one of those vacation scams being run by Marlon Mack. But uh, chances are that Mack may get some time now that the Broncos have lost both Devonta Williams and this week's loss of Mike Boone with a foot injury. And finally, in somewhat surprising news late this week, it was announced that Ezekiel Elliott is highly doubtful uh, to play for the Cowboys in Week 8 after suffering a Grade 2 medial collateral come oh, Jesus, easy for me to say, medial collateral ligament sprain in his right knee and a thigh bruise during Week 7. That means this is the one of the simplest must-start calls ever to be made on this show. Tony Pollard should be in the lineup for any fantasy team that has him on their roster. Pollard should give you strong running back one upside this week. So there, there that was that was a free must start for you. To go with the rest of our must starts and don't bothers for week eight here, we start as we always do with the quarterbacks. My first must start for week eight, Kirk Cousins. I, I like him to light up the stat sheets this weekend against a soft, soft, against a very, very... Cardinals defense, if you remember, he destroyed his defense last year, and they were better then. In fact, the Cardinals allowed 361 passing yards and four touchdowns last week against Andy friggin' Dalton. Get Kirk Cousins in your starting lineup this week. Next guy for me, Tom, uh, no, not Tom, Daniel Jones. Jones is currently a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Yeah, rewind this and play that again. Daniel Jones is currently a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And that is after he finished week seven as quarterback two overall. Seattle is in the top 10 in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks on the year and in this month. Jones is an option for those who drafted the disappointing quarterbacks like Tom Brady, 
Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan. The list goes on and on. Daniel Jones, a must-start. Finally, my must-start quarterback this week, Derek Carr. Now, last week, Derek Carr was a bit disappointing, but only because all the touchdowns for the Raiders went to Josh Jacobs. This week, it looks like Carr could get in on some of the scoring. The Saints are pretty tough against the run, but they are struggling against the pass. They've allowed the fourth most production to quarterbacks over the last month. Next, the don't bother the quarterback. We start with Mr. Newly Divorced or Divorce Agreement, Tom Brady. It's been a tough year so far for the crybaby. Tampa faces the Ravens this weekend who have been getting better and better against opposing quarterbacks. There are only two teams on by this week. You can afford to get away from the crybaby until he shows signs of actually bouncing back and playing like the goat everybody wants him to be. But this week, no. My next don't bother from you this week, Trevor Lawrence. You simply cannot count on Trevor two weeks in a row. He produced last week, which means he's doomed this week. Let's not forget he's going against a tough Denver defense. You may like the numbers from Lawrence, but the fact is that he has only thrown one touchdown in the past three games. Plus, the Denver Broncos have allowed the fewest fantasy points to quarterbacks this year so far. Say no thank you to Trevor Lawrence this week. We move to must-start running backs. Brian Robinson. Simply put, he is just getting way too much work compared to Antonio Gibson, to keep him on your bench. It's that simple. Next up for me, Deonta Foreman. With McCaffrey now gone out of Carolina and Chuba Hubbard hurt, Foreman showed that he is the man last week. He played 54% of the snaps, which also included Chuba Hubbard, before he left the game in the fourth quarter with an ankle sprain. The Falcons are horrible against the run, and even if Hubbard plays this week, His ankle injury is bound to end up meaning more work for Deonta Foreman. And finally, uh, like we said at the end of the news and notes, Tony Pollard. Zeke got all the touchdowns last week, but the yardage went to Pollard. And now this week, he's going to get both. Because as you know, Zeke is hurt. Uh, Pollard also played 63% of the snaps for Dallas. He's more explosive than, than Zeke. And Chicago has allowed an average of 25 fantasy points per game to opposing running backs, which is ninth most in the NFL this year. As far as don't bother running backs, David Montgomery. He has turned into a timeshare for the Bears. He only saw 15 carries last week and zero targets in the passing game. Add to that, it looks like Khalil Herbert is stealing valuable touches in the passing game while Fields is stealing the touches in the red zone and goal line area. Plus. The Cowboys have only averaged 17 fantasy points to running backs, which is the second lowest in the league. Doesn't sound good for David Montgomery. My final must start, or don't bother at running back, Melvin Gordon. Even with Mike Boone expected to miss some time with the injured ankle, Gordon is now giving up touches to recently acquired Latavius Murray. Gordon has scored seven fantasy points in in. Uh, three of his last four games, including two games with less than one point. Melvin Gordon can sit. 
And finally, we do our must-start set receivers. Gabriel Davis. This hurts. The Packers look to be giving every receiver they play against a five-yard cushion in coverage on every play. Davis is going to eat this up. He is third in the NFL in air yards per target. Look for Davis and Josh Allen to test the Packers' defense this weekend, and it could be a long night for the Packers. Next must start at receiver, Brandon Cooks. This is the week to give Cooks a chance, despite his disappointing showings the last couple weeks. Nico Collins left last week's game with a groin injury, which should mean more targets for Cooks. The Titans have struggled against the receivers all year long, allowing the third most fantasy points to receivers. And my final must start, Adam Thielen. Like I said, when I said Kirk Cousins is your starter, they're going against the Cardinals, who have a terrible pass defense. They've been playing horrible against slot receivers this year. Adam Thielen should have a field day this weekend. And finally, the don't bother receivers, Amari Cooper. Cincinnati has a tough secondary. It doesn't look like a great week to start Cooper. I don't like Cleveland doing a lot of passing this week. Um, Looks like they're going to be pounding the ball in the run game because of Cincinnati's tough secondary. And finally, Romeo Dubs. He has been held to single-digit points in five of seven games, including zero catches last week on four targets. Now, that is not what you want when you are facing the Buffalo Bills, who are allowing just the ninth-fewest fantasy points to receivers. And there you go. Your must-starts and don't-bothers for Week 8. Hope that helps you out. Let's get you a win in fantasy football, and let's get you some money in the gambling round. Ace Rothstein was a hell of a handicapper. I can tell you that. I gotta warn you, Clark. They don't play the same games here as they do at them regular casinos. Now, even though Wayne is not here, when he told me that he was getting called into work this morning, he did send me his list of college plays for this weekend. And I'm sure I'll get his pro plays later today or first thing in the morning, so you can get those looked at those on the on the website cffpodcast.com on the sports investing page. So um, as usual, he has a whole list of degenerate picks up there, so check them out and see how you want to play them uh, before the games start today. But I will go over mine. Um, I did have a six-leg pre-Saturday round robin parlay, but uh, we're going to avoid that because out of the six, I only got two of them correct. So that $420 bet turned into a take of $19, which quick math, which I was never good at. Even I can figure out that's that's losing. <sighs> so uh, we move to this. I do have a, a 16 small college round robin parlay where I, I have Miami, Ohio, minus eight and a half against Akron. I have Toledo minus seven versus Eastern Michigan. I have Charlotte versus Rice over 58 and a half. I have Georgia State minus three and a half versus Old Dominion. South Alabama minus 10 versus Arkansas State. And I have one of my favorite teams, Coastal Carolina versus Marshall over 55 and a half. Again, that's a six-team small college round robin parlay. It's on the website. Check it out. Play it however you want. 
Um, the cool thing about round robin, round robin parlays is you can split that up however you want and play as many legs as you want and bet as much as you wish. Uh, next, we have my bets. And I have six of them this week. They're all single bets, and then I'm going to parlay them all at the end because yeah, they're all probably going to win. We start with this one. TCU minus 7.5 versus West Virginia. The Frogs have won four straight against ranked Big 12 teams. West Virginia has allowed over 40 points the last two and over 30 points the last four, while TCU has won five of seven games against the spread. TCU is undefeated, I believe, in the Big 12. They're the only undefeated team in the Big 12. And I believe um, that continues this week. They're big, big boys on that team, and I will I will take TCU minus a 7.5. My next game, Florida plus 22.5 versus Georgia. This is officially the biggest line of any cocktail party game ever. Florida versus Georgia is always the annual cocktail party, it's called, and or the largest cocktail party in college football. Uh, Georgia is perfect in three games against the spread when it's less than 30. However, the Gators might be the best running team that Georgia lines up against uh, so far this season. I will take Florida and the points, and I will pray that that works out for me. Next up, Oregon, minus 15.5 versus California. Oregon is 6-0 and since they got their butts kicked by Georgia in the season opener. They have scored over 40 points in each of those six games. They are 5-2 and two against the spread, and they boast the 5th best rushing attack and 11th best in scoring overall. Oregon, minus 15.5 versus a very mid-California. Next up, Wake Forest, minus 4.5 versus Louisville. The Cardinals have had their moments, but Wake Forest has Sam Hartman. And you know what they say. When Sam Hartman plays, you throw away the record books. And uh, Sam Hartman and Wake Forest are 6-1 and one against the spread. Next up, Illinois minus 7 versus Nebraska. Arizona is running for almost 200 yards per game, and they boast college football's tops scoring defense. That's enough for me against a not very good at all Nebraska Cornhusker team. And finally, we're going Notre Dame money line over Syracuse. It is impossible to figure out Notre Dame, and, and this may be the game that screws up my parlay, but Notre Dame has been perfect in their last two games against the spread. I will just take them in the upset. Notre Dame over Syracuse. Those are my college picks. And again, like I said, we're going to move to the pros, and uh, we'll get Wayne's up there as soon as he gets them into me after work tonight. And you'll have time to look at them tomorrow before you need to get them into your your man or your online booking app that you use or the casino you run to in Vegas or wherever it is. Um, I had I had a six leg Thursday night football parlay. We're gonna avoid talking about that because that did not turn out the way I thought it would either. Got got three wins on that out of the six, so won a little bit of money, but overall. Lost a little bit. 
Next, I have a five-leg player prop round robin parlay like I do every week, and we're going to go like this. Justin Fields, over 41.5 rush yards. Aaron Jones, anytime touchdown. Gabriel Davis, anytime touchdown. Aaron Rodgers, over 245 pass yards. And Jalen Hurts, over one and a half passing touchdowns. And then I also have my weekly five-team underdog money line round-robin parlay, five and three ways. So it's a $55 bet at $5 a bet. All you need, three of these teams to win, and you will double the money you just spent. I have New York Jets over the New England Patriots. I have the Giants over Seattle. I have New Orleans over Las Vegas. Arizona over Minnesota. And I have Washington over Indianapolis. Good luck on those. And now for my single game picks again. Single game picks, and we're going to parlay them all at the end. Cincinnati minus three and a half versus Cleveland. Now, I saw this bet all week, and I must be missing something. There is no way this should only be three and a half points. The Browns have lost four straight, giving up over 28 points per game, and the Bengals have won four of their last five, and they're averaging over 27 points per game in October. The only Bengals losses this year were a fluky loss to the Steelers in week one and a loss to the Cowboys. There's no way Cincinnati loses this game, number one, and there's no way they win it by less than three points. Next game, Giants plus three and a half versus Seattle. This game opened up with the Giants being a two and a half point underdog and this public Still not buying the Giants and the spread has been blown up to three and a half point underdog. And I am glad I waited. I gave you the Giants last week as an underdog and it paid off with an outright win. This week against the Seattle Seahawks, two in a row. The Seahawks allow six yards per play. And like I said in the must starts and don't bothers and in the news and notes, DK Metcalf, uh, will not be playing for the team this week. So that's a big weapon out of the lineup. Give me the Giants plus the three and a half. Next up, Jacksonville minus two and a half versus Denver. Denver Broncos are fascinating. Their defense is tied with Dallas for the top spot, yet they're two and five because the rest of their team cannot get out of their own way. They're 29th in offense DVOA and 31st in special teams DVOA. Give me Jacksonville minus a two and a half. Surprisingly, the Jaguars have the same record as Denver, but unlike Denver, Jacksonville ranks as one of the better teams in the league with a DVOA ranking of nine. Next one, Miami minus three and a half versus Detroit. It is this simple. Detroit is last in the NFL in point differential at minus 56 yards. They're last in yards allowed at 412. They're last in per play yards allowed at 6.4 and in deficient and in defensive deficient efficiency. Give me Miami. Thank you. Next one, New York Jets plus two and a half versus New England. Much like the Giants game, this is another matchup that has moved the Jets from a one and a half point dog to a two and a half point dog. People are just not buying the Jets yet. And uh, perhaps the betting public didn't see the Monday night football game against the Bears. 
The Patriots are in the midst of a quarterback controversy, which is not good for team chemistry. The Jets, on the other hand, have been playing way above expectation. I'd like the Jets to win this game outright. And finally, Dallas minus 9.5 versus Chicago. The Cowboys' defense, like I said, they're among the best in the league, if not the best. The Cowboys must continue attacking teams the way they did against Detroit, even against what should be a lesser opponent in Chicago. So give me the Dallas Cowboys. And there they are, your picks for this week in sports investing. Remember, don't bet any more than you can afford to lose. And it's only gambling if you don't know what you're doing. Good luck. Check them out on the website, cffpodcast.com, on the sports investing page. Right now, let's do the fantasy girl. That's right, the longest running episodic segment of this podcast, even without a second person here to do the guessing for the measurements. It's the Fantasy Girl of the Week. Check her on the website, cffpodcast.com, on the Fantasy Girl page. Your chance to look at beautiful women while you place your bets and get your fantasy football team ready. This week, it's Hannah Flattery, everyone. Hannah Flattery was born August 1st, 1987 in Kildare, Ireland. She's a glamour model. She was born in Dublin and grew up most of her life in the small town of Kildare as one of five girls. She just graduated from University College Dublin, where she majored in marketing and French. She speaks fluent French after spending a year abroad studying in France. There you go. As a teenager, she started off as a grid girl and car show model for tournaments such as the British Touring Car Championship and the British Superbike She then started modeling for irishbabes.net magazine. The Irish glamour model stands 5 foot 8 inches tall. She weighs 112 pounds, has blonde hair and blue eyes. Her measurements are 32, 24, and 32. I got them all right. 32C, everybody. Hannah Flattery, your Fantasy Girl of the Week. That's it for the show, everybody. Remember, check out the website, cffpodcast.com. We hope you have a good week. Questions, comments, concerns, send them to us on the Mission Barbecue email, cffpodcast at hotmail.com, or on the Mountain Dew Spark fan line, 414-520-8249, where we take your voicemail and text message questions. That's it this week. Like I said, good luck on week eight of your fantasy football season. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Be good.